Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Trentus Magnus, and here at Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, I wage a never-ending podcast for comics, TV shows, and movies. I'd like to just start by saying that this episode seriously kicked my ass because it required a lot more reading, writing, and research than I originally expected. Now, I think, or hope, the end result was worth it, but I guess that's not for me to judge. In any case, enjoy. your attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back. Time for some more comic book talk. I've got a little bit of a theme for this episode. Uh, Both comics I'll be talking about today are Elseworlds books. Elseworlds is, or was, a DC imprint that reinvents or reimagines a concept or character in a completely different, and at times anathema, setting. I've got plans to deal with more Elseworlds stories in the future, but I thought this might be a good introduction. Now, As most of you probably know, the purpose of Elseworlds is to tell a sort of what-if type of story. You take an established character or concept, and then completely turn it on its head. Now, what separates Elseworlds from Marvel's what-if concept is that, generally, what-if takes a character facing a fork-in-the-road decision that originally happened in continuity, and then explores what might have happened had another choice been made. And it seems to usually end with somebody dying a violent and bloody death. Elseworlds completely rebuilds the continuity, and it puts the character or team or concept or whatever in a completely different setting. It's usually interesting to find out what's changed and what's stayed the same. So, today's first comic is uh, Batman, Gotham by Gaslight, written by Brian Augustin, with pencils by Mike Mignola inks by P. Craig Russell, and coloring by David Hornung. This was the first Elseworlds story that I ever read. In fact, if I recall, this was the first official Elseworlds title DC ever published. We consider Frank Miller's Dark Knight Elseworlds now, but that label didn't exist when the book first came out. But anyway, Gotham by Gaslight. It was originally published in uh, 1989, and I remember there being considerable interest in it at the time because it was so different from Batman as he'd normally been written and published um, back in those days. So, in short, Gotham by Gaslight pa- uh, places Batman in a late 19th century version of Gotham City. The core elements of Batman's mythos remain the same. They simply take place in a different time. 
The story opens with a flashback to the Wayne murders. Bruce recalls the evening, how his parents were laughing and joking with each other until the, the coach was suddenly stopped, and a man with guns attacked them and demanded their valuables. Thomas Wayne tries to resist, but ends up getting shot by the robber. Martha's next, and she's shot uh, shortly afterward. The killer then turns his guns on Bruce, but ultimately he gets swarmed by bats, and that's pretty much where things end. And this is a flashback. Uh, we're brought back to uh, 1889 as Bruce recounts his recurring dream to Dr. Freud in Vienna. And, of course, Dr. Fro Dr. Freud is smoking a cigar. Bruce declines analysis of, uh, analysis of his recurring dream, though, pointing out that he came to Vienna to study with Dr. Freud rather than be studied by Dr. Freud. Freud accepts this, and as Bruce has completed his studies with Freud, they say their goodbyes, and Bruce hops a, steam a steamship back to America, back to Gotham City. On board the ship, Bruce meets Jacob Packer, an old friend of the Wayne family. They catch up with each other, but although Bruce likes Packer, he kind of has to admit that Packer can sometimes be a little crude and immature. The ship arrives in Gotham City, and Bruce is greeted by Alfred, and then they return home together. Alfred tries to get Bruce to settle down for dinner, but all Bruce can think about is the bat outfit, which Alfred assures him is still waiting. The next day, Bruce meets with Inspector Gordon. After they exchange pleasantries, the subject turns to, turns to Gotham City and how dark and powerful the criminal element is becoming. We then cut to night and a robbery in progress in the Gotham City rail yard. Batman interrupts the robbery and beats the piss out of the would-be thieves. From there, it's a montage of Batman. Amidst newspaper headlines and clippings, we see Batman thwarting robberies, beating the piss out of more thieves, interrupting muggings, and generally challenging the criminal underworld in Gotham City. Each night sees some new rescue or another attempted robbery foiled by Batman. Batman is achieving greater and greater notoriety with the Gotham City press, who, sensa who sensationalize his stories even further and enhance his mystique. One night, during a party at Leland Manor, Bruce again meets with Inspector Gordon, and the subject turns to Batman. Gordon mentions, though, that apart from Batman, the streets of Gotham are being stalked by a murderer who kills women. Police Commissioner Tolliver announces his belief that Batman is the killer, and that he won't rest until Batman is taken down. Shortly after, the killer strikes again, and now the Gotham City press has begun wondering that Jack the Ripper has come to Gotham City. While patrolling the city one night, Batman narrowly, narrowly misses t uh, catching Jack the Ripper in the middle of another murder. Inspector Gordon is interrupted while reviewing a postcard sent by Jack the Ripper when Commissioner Tolliver barges in and announces to him that it's over, and they have their man. He gives a file to Gordon for him to review, and then tells him to get his coat because they're, they're off to Wayne Manor. While searching Wayne Manor, Tolliver, Gordon, and their men find bloody gloves and a bloody knife. Bruce Wayne is arrested for murder. Bruce's trial is mostly a kangaroo court and media circus. Thanks to Jacob Packer's legal counsel, Bruce is completely skeptical that he'll be convicted, as the prosecution really has no case against him, which means he must have been pretty surprised when he ends up getting convicted, sentenced to hang, and the newspapers label him as Jack the Ripper. Gordon, clearly skeptical about the verdict, visits Bruce in jail and gives him the police department's file on Jack the Ripper for Bruce to review. Over the coming days, Bruce reviews and re-reviews Gordon's Jack the Ripper file and finds nothing relevant, at least at first, until he stumbles across a picture of the murder weapon. That jogs in memory, and Bruce compares the knife in the evidence photos to a portrait of Thomas Wayne's Civil War regiment. 
He recognizes the emblem on the knife as being the same emblem on the regiment's flag. He then deduces Jack the Ripper's true identity. With an assist from Alfred, Bruce escapes from jail and tracks down Jack the Ripper, who coincidentally happens to be in the middle of attacking yet another woman. Batman interrupts the killing, and the Ripper makes a run for it. Batman pursues the Ripper through the streets of Gotham. No matter how fast and how far the Ripper goes, Batman is always right behind him. The Ripper commandeers a coach and a team of horses, but he just cannot escape from Batman. After a brief struggle, Batman subdues the Ripper and reveals him to be... Jacob Packer. When Batman demands an explanation, Packer reveals that he'd fallen in love with Martha Wayne after, after she had started up with Thomas, and Martha, of course, declined his advances, and Thomas never mentioned it, but he probably knew what happened. Being a complete fucking lunatic, Packer's humiliation drove him to believe that Martha, Thomas, and young Bruce were all laughing at him and his foolishness, so he arranged to have them all killed, although the attack was interrupted before Bruce could be killed. But it doesn't matter, since Bruce is supposed to die in just a few hours. Batman then reveals his true identity to Packer, right as Gotham City police close in. Batman reveals the Ripper's true identity as Jacob Packer and demands that Gordon arrest him. Packer confesses to the murders and then attacks Batman with a knife. Gordon then shoots Packer to death right on the spot. After confirming that Gordon has more than enough evidence to release Bruce Wayne, Batman vanishes from the scene. A full moon shines down on Batman as he sits atop a gargoyle overlooking the entire downtown Gotham district. The city has a new protector and Gordon suspects they're going to need him. Now, I first read Gotham by Gaslight back in 1991 or so when I was about 10 years old. I loved it then, and I really love it now. I had a lot of, pre uh, a lot of prejudices to work past, though, in that first reading, but those were pretty much totally gone by the time Batman makes his first appearance in the story. I love this comic book. The biggest criticism I can, I, that, that I can find for it, in fact is that Elseworlds were usually done in one stories when this, when this was first published. It would be, a se it'd be several years later before they were expanded out as a miniseries. Honestly, I wouldn't have minded if this, ha if this had become an ongoing series, as the concept of it is more than strong enough to sustain a monthly title. I'll be coming back to that in, in a second, though. All I'm saying is, is, is that if this had been a, a two, three, four, five-issue miniseries... I really, I, I could have lived with that, but it is what it is. It's a one shot, and it's and it's fucking amazing. So, Gotham by Gaslight proves Mark Wade's adage that you can insert Batman's origin story pretty much anywhere in history, whether it's the future or the past, and it'll still work. And this isn't necessarily the case with other superheroes. Augustine's script is first rate, and he includes cameo appearances not only of the Joker, Harvey Dent, and Jeremiah Arkham but also real-life historical figures like Sigmund Freud. Everything fits together perfectly in this 19th century Batman tale. It all feels of a piece with everything else. Still, it's Mike Mignola's pencils that really bring this bad boy to life, if you ask me. His creepy style is a... It's just perfect. It's a perfect match for this dark, bloody story. I would go so far as to say that this would be a lesser story. I would not like this story as much if someone else had drawn it. That's how good a job he did. Now, I can't say all of this without also mentioning the coloring. The coloring is really something else, too. David Hornung, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, David Hornung uses a pretty limited palette of colors, 
but it works to his advantage. He mostly sticks with blacks and grays and these sort of dull uh, off-whites. And even when actual color is brought into the story, it's still pretty dull and drabby. It's the, it, it perfectly enhances the darkness of the story. Every single page oozes atmosphere. It's just, I wouldn't change a thing. It's perfect. Now, just a second ago, I mentioned that I would have loved a Gotham by Gaslight ongoing series. Now, that obviously never happened, but there was eventually a sequel called Master of the Future. However, I'm just not as fond of Master of the Future. It's good, but it's not great, like Gotham by Gaslight is. It just, to me, doesn't feel like a worthy follow-up. Now, I admit, I might feel differently if Mignola had done the art for it, but the fact is, he didn't. And I find the sequel to be kind of weak sauce compared to the masterful original. Still, it's worth mentioning that for a while, at least, Gotham by Gaslight was part of the DC multiverse. Now, I'm not sure what status it has in continuity now, but at least at one point it was designated as Earth 1889. So, so there's that. Now, I'm going to take a break, play a promo or two, and then I'm going to come back to discuss more Elseworlds goodness. dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're but palms in a hand. I'm Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You Earthlings can't change the way I can. Can't be talking those powerful cuts on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord. Until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ramatats. King of Kings, Master of Men. Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or Hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him to let it be drained of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Cast, ffcast.libsyn.com And I'm back now. The next comic I'll be discussing is Superman's Secret Identity. This is a four-issue Elseworlds miniseries published in 2004. It was written by Kurt Busiek and penciled, inked, and colored by Stuart Eminen. 
The concept behind Superman's secret identity is what things might be like if some kid named Clark Kent really did have Superman's powers and actually did wear a Superman outfit to perform rescues. Ostensibly, this is the real world where Superman is a fictional character and how things might go if someone like this really existed. So in a sense, this is sort of like the Chris Nolan Batman movies, which put the character in a real-world setting, but let's face it, that's not really Batman. In Superman Secret Identity number 1, we're introduced to Clark Kent, son of Laura and David Kent. They probably meant well, but as their residents of Pickettsville, Kansas, they thought it would be funny to name their only son Clark. It's been an albatross for him his entire life. Every birthday and Christmas is filled with Superman stuff, which he has no interest in. Every classmate has some dumbass Superman joke at the ready, and the only peace this poor kid can get is when he goes on extended hiking trips all by himself. One night, he wakes up and finds himself floating in midair. He realizes he has suddenly acquired Superman's powers. At first, he mostly uses them as a way to spend extra time alone without anybody bothering him, but even though he tries to keep a low profile, word starts getting around and pretty soon it's almost a complete media circus in Pickettsville. Clark's contact in the media tries to get him on video camera, so he destroys the camera and eventually decides to go public on his own terms. He decides to make his move on Halloween night and attends the Pickettsville Costume Festival, dressed as Superman. Before he can reveal his powers, though, an explosion rocks the fairgrounds and he's forced to rescue people. It eventually becomes obvious that his media contact is the one who set off the bombs and she's taken away in cuffs, but it becomes obvious to Clark that going public would be a huge mistake, so he, he resolves to keep his abilities a secret. He barely manages to protect his secret, and eventually the entire thing just blows over and most people end up just assuming that it, was a, that it had all been a hoax. However, the last page shows that federal agents are taking this very seriously, and even though they've cleared Clark Kent of suspicion... They're still out there, and they're still looking. In Superman Secret Identity number 2, we see that Clark has grown up, moved to Manhattan, and taken a job at the New Yorker. He's still the victim of annoying Superman gags, though. It's less annoying to him now, though, because he's not a bratty teenager anymore, and let's not forget, he really does have superpowers. Clark has been operating in secret, using his powers to rescue people, and when he does, he wears a Superman costume so that in the unlikely event he's seen while he does a rescue, all an eyewitness would be able to tell someone is that Superman had saved them, and let's face it, who would believe that? What Clark doesn't even suspect, though, is that the government is still tracking his rescues and are closing in on this mysterious, superpowered rescuer. Meanwhile... Clark has a book deal on the table and has just met an interior designer named Lois Shahari. I'm not, I, just as a side note, I'm not completely sure how to pronounce that. It's C-H-A-U-D-H-A-R-I. So Shahari is about the best I can, I can do for that. In any case, poor Lois has gotten nearly as many Superman gags during her lifetime as Clark has. Ironically, though, that provides the initial foundation for their relationship. Eventually, though, this real-world Clark hits the same rough patch with this real-world Lois that the fictional Clark hits with the fictional Lois. Namely, how can you have intimacy without honesty? Clark is sitting on a pretty big secret, and until Lois knows it, she won't truly know him. Clark no sooner makes up his mind to tell Lois than he ends up captured and experimented upon by government operatives. After three days, he escapes from the lab and destroys it and all of the equipment. He has a life to live, 
but he remains emotionally distant from Lois. Eventually, though, he surprises her with a spontaneous picnic and tells her the truth. Everything. From that moment on, Clark knows that he's finally found his soulmate. Issue number three opens with Clark established as a, as a renowned author and public speaker. He and Lois have moved to Maine, and Clark has devised new and better ways of covering his tracks so that the government can't find them. They're still trying, though, and when there's absolutely no chance of the government tracing this Superman back to Clark Kent of Maine, Clark occasionally toys with them a little bit. He started treating it like a game. Not very long after this, Lois tells him that she's pregnant with twins. From there, the comic kind of meanders into this one-percenter or yuppie style worrywart pre-parent stuff before the full ramifications of this thing become clear and Clark realizes it's not just a game anymore. This is life and death. It's for real. Clark realizes he needs to get the government off his back for good so he devises a meeting with Agent Malloy, the Fed in charge of, of pursuing him. It goes badly but Clark eventually manages to get the point across that he's not a threat. The offer is this. In exchange for staying off his back, Clark offers uh, his, his assistance when it's needed. For the most part, the government complies and doesn't try too hard to catch him. When Lois goes into labor, Clark is called in by the government to help deal with some terrorists in South America. In the end, Clark shuts the terrorists down and saves a lot of lives while Lois gives birth to two healthy girls. Clark decides those are what really count. Superman Secret Identity number 4 opens with Clark receiving a New Year's card from his now adult daughters. The issue mostly revolves around Clark realizing that his daughters have superpowers too, which is a good thing because he needs the help now that his that his powers have uh, now that his powers are dimming. His responses are slower, his senses have become more limited, he's not as strong as he used to be, and there are other problems. As much as anything, Clark is getting old and having to adjust to that. In short order, Clark finds out that Malloy, his handler with the government, is retiring and taking Clark with him. Malloy explains that there obviously can't be a pension, ceremony, or any official recognition for Clark's efforts, but, he's, but that he's done a lot of good, saved a lot of lives, and should enjoy his retirement from government work. He also makes it clear that he knows Clark's name, but promises that nobody else in the government does, and nobody else will bother him. Clark gets older, and people with superpowers are now not only commonplace, but are operating openly. Clark acknowledges that the world is changing, but then the world is always changing. Besides, he's had a good life. Secret identity or not. I should, be, I should begin my commentary by saying I freaking love this miniseries. In my opinion, this miniseries is everything that Elseworlds should be. To me... Elseworlds is about reimagining a concept in a completely different context, and that's what Secret Identity is. Yeah, the settings of the story may be different from the mainstream DC universe, and maybe a character's name isn't exactly the same, but basically this is a Superman in the real world story. It's still Clark, it's still Superman, it's still Lois, it's still a costume, it's still a great metropolitan newspaper. All of it isn't very different from regular Superman comics, but at the same time, it's the exact opposite. And I love that. This story is obviously about putting Superman in the real world. And in the real world, we don't have very many out-and-out -out jobs for Superman. It, it just isn't a daily occurrence. There are no supervillains to deal with, which I'm actually going to be coming back to that in a moment. Uh, there are no supervillains to deal with. There, you know, and there are no bank robberies that happen every five minutes, even in major metropolitan areas. 
So Clark, using his powers to perform rescues that would be tricky or impossible for anybody else, is usually about as big as the real world can offer. Now, I should pause here and say that this very thing actually leads into one of the very few quibbles I have about this book. In short order, it becomes pretty clear that Clark isn't the only person in the world with superpowers, and he hasn't been the only one. Whatever gave him powers affected other people, too, and I... And at least to me, that's where a few flaws kind of start coming into the story, because, let's face it, if you give the average guy powers, odds are he'll behave more like Zod than Superman. Sure, Clark can be trusted with the powers, but the law of numbers says that some percentage of people would get powers who simply are not trustworthy. Even if all they did was use, was use the powers to steal or cheat or something, sooner or later their existence would become public knowledge, and the fact that they've used their powers for completely selfish reasons, that would be a factor in all this. They, they simply would not be altruistic, or at least not completely altruistic. Now, Buziak sidesteps that by positioning the United States government as the closest thing to a villain that this series has. And the government would try to put Superman on a leash and would keep trying until they succeeded or until Superman somehow found a way to, to make them back down. But it just seems like if, if, if Buziak was determined to avoid supervillains, as seems to be the case, the government made absolute sense to me and that felt believable. But at the same time, the story itself says that Clark isn't the only person with powers and it's just a little bit much for me to believe that at least one of them didn't didn't have selfish reasons in mind and wouldn't have used those powers in a less than benign way. Throughout the entire series, and this is just moving on to a different subject now, throughout the entire series, Clark is an introverted, introspective loner who experiences a lot of unexpected personal and professional success. His humility and need for privacy allow him to use the powers for nothing but benevolent purposes, so the torment he experienced over the years with all, the, with all those Superman gags may be the very thing that made him such a responsible steward of all those awesome powers. It's easy to think that if he'd been named Bob rather than Clark and had played sports in high school when his powers arrived, he might have used his powers for less than noble purposes. He, he wouldn't have been able to live up to the name Superman. But because of the number of assholes he's known in his life, he effortlessly becomes Superman when he needs to, and then fades away into the background the rest of the time. And I just, obviously, I'm, I, I love the writing here, the characterization, it all just feels bulletproof to me, it's rock solid. You know, but even the super, the super villain thing is, is kind of quibbling. I literally would not change a thing, not one thing about any of this. This is perfect. Now, there's no way I can go through this review without mentioning Stuart Eminem's art. I'm a fan of uh, Eminem Superman from way back, but what I noticed is that he altered his style for the storyline. He intentionally used a slightly grittier and more realistic line style. The women aren't impossibly beautiful, the men aren't impossibly chiseled, and everything in general with the art looks and feels more grounded. The coloring, the ink, Eminem apparently did all of that. And it, and it all feels of a piece with, with the story. It, it, this is the perfect companion. Now, Eminem's career has no shortage of amazing work, but even by his standards, 
Secret Identity is still a real high point. It's, it's amazingly well done on a technical level. But it's also my go-to example of an artist intentionally changing his style to fit the story that's being told rather than forcing the material to fit him. And let's face it, a lot of artists out there these days would try to somehow adapt or change or force the material to suit them rather than diligently working to adapt themselves to the material. And uh, Eminem, his work here is just top shelf. It's first rate. He did exactly what he needed to do. And as with the story, I would not change a single thing about his art. There's nothing that can be added to it without somehow damaging it. And it's the rare it's the rare artist that does a story that, that you can say that about. Usually there's always something or other that could have been done better. But here, I'm at a loss. I can't think of a single thing Eminem could have done better that would have somehow improved the final product. Anything that you do to the art from this point on in, it would only be to make it worse. Even if it's to make it better, it's still to make it worse because it's... Anyway, I'm, I'm gushing. Now... I realize that it's unlikely that Stuart Eminem or Kurt Busiek are listening to this. And even if they are, it's still unlikely that I'm gushing anything they haven't heard a million times before about this book. But no matter what, they need to understand that just just how much I love this miniseries and what an awesome love letter it is to Superman. I honestly would not change a single thing about it. If you only read one Elseworlds story, or at least one Superman Elseworlds story, there's not a question in my mind. This is the one you need to read. Yeah, 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 play it. Come on, play it loud. Play it loud. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic, foolish emotions, a constant irritant, and transpire out freaks. Two. Come on to a circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. True. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, oh. It's a super prize package work. $9,388. Good money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go away, And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Thank God that one he didn't kill off. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. You're looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now, come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak!
You've decided to go to a nearby restaurant. You ask the hostess to seat you in a booth. As you sit, you notice an animated conversation among the four seated behind you. They're talking about Star Wars and Doctor Who and something called the Laugh Olympics. These are the people you used to pants in high school. And yet, you cannot help listening. Unable to tear your ears away, you realize you've just been sucked into the Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks, weekly at twotruefreaks.com. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus, Puncher's Reality, at magnus.libson.com. You can also find it on Facebook, just by searching for Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners, and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled... T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind. And that's a promise. If you enjoyed the show, review it in iTunes. If you didn't enjoy the show, review it in iTunes. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promo can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is copyright Magnus Media Enterprises Limited, Wisconsin Falls, California. 